As I've mentioned, this past summer during my study leave, I spent some time watching a variety of documentaries. I'm always looking for, for interesting ideas to enhance a message. One of the first documentaries I watched was called A Hidden Life. It's a true story that takes place during World War II. You can actually watch it on Netflix if you're interested, but just make sure you've got about three hours to spare and definitely a box of Kleenex nearby. This was a doozy of a film to watch. The film opens in the picturesque Austrian mountains near the German border on a small farming community that reminded me so much of the movie Sound of Music. August Diehl stars as Franz Jagerstatter, a modest, real-life hero of a type that is rarely celebrated on film. A review I read put it well when they said that he, was a, he wasn't a politician, a revolutionary, a firebrand, or even a particularly extroverted or verbose man. But he just had a set of beliefs and stuck with them to the bitter end. Franz lives a simple existence as a soft-spoken churchgoer with his wife and their three young children. At least that is until their neighbors rudely declare war on Europe. And Franz, like so many Austrians, is called up to serve. Franz, though, refuses to join the German army, swear a loyalty oath to Hitler, or respond in kind when people said, Hail Hitler, to him. As a result, he suffers an escalating series of consequences that were meant to break him, but instead only hardened his resolve. Franz's decision gives a, a piercing sense of what it will cost him. If he sticks to his guns, so to speak, he'll end up in jail, probably tortured and maybe dead, depriving his family of a, of a husband and father, the household income, and subjecting the family to public scorn by villagers who worship Hitler like a god. There are those who try and talk to Franz about giving up his fight. Even some of the Nazis themselves try to provide him with opportunities to question his decision, giving him every chance to conform. That is the experience of a hidden life. It is a film that puts you into deep, deep into a side of situation and examines it in human terms. The title of this film comes from a quote by George Eliot, which says, the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. Half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Eliot echoes scripture here. In some way, even quiet acts of resistance to evil make a difference. Even those who live unremarkable but faithful and righteous lives somehow contribute to the betterment of the world like the life of Franz. Or to put it in scriptural terms, the kingdom of God. Hidden 
and unhistoric lives are the rule, not the exception. The majority of us are not going to be the next David Livingston or, Martha, or Mother Teresa. And we've only to look through the scriptures and the pages of Christian history to see a similar pattern. For every Mother Teresa, there are thousands more missionaries who labored for years in hostile lands with, vis with little visible fruit for their efforts. There are countless martyrs like Franz who gave their lives for the faith with few tangible results. But this is not how success is measured in God's kingdom. And on, all, and on this All Saints Day, I thought it would be a great opportunity to reflect on that. On this All Saints Day, could it be our opportunity to celebrate the saints, both past and present, and we pray future of our community? Think about this. Where have you seen or heard of saints of the past or present engaged, inclusive, giving, and sacrificing? In the circumstances that come to mind of those saints in our lives, I imagine it was hard for them to stay focused, to keep motivated, to keep positive when all they heard was doom and gloom. I'm an optimist, but I can't maintain it all the time. It takes way, way too much energy. The groups Jesus describes in the reading we heard today from Matthew's Gospel, known as the Beatitudes, are notable only by their ordinariness. The poor in spirit, the suffering, the meek, the merciful. In the parable of the talents, the master doesn't compare the success of servants to each other. He asks what they did with the talents they were given. So too, Jesus will ask how faithful we were in the places he put us with the resources he gave us. Most of us will not be called to literal, literal physical martyrdom for our faith. Yet, your quiet service is no less necessary to God than those of the missionaries and martyrs. You may never know how God used you, but be assured that God has and will continue to do so. I love what author Frederick Buckner says about All Saints Day. Let me share it. On All Saints Day, it is not just the saints of the church that we should remember in our prayers, but all the foolish ones and wise ones, the shy ones and overbearing ones, the broken ones and the whole ones, the despots and tosspots and crackpots of our lives, who, one way or another, have been our particular fathers and mothers and saints and whom have we loved without knowing that we love them, and by whom we were helped to whatever little we may have, or ever hope to have, of some kind of seedy sainthood of our own. This got me thinking about seeing the holy in the ordinary. I began to imagine 
not how difficult it, it sometimes is to see ourselves as saints, but to get our hearts around how Jesus sees the sacred in the ordinary, how he sees saints in us and other imperfect souls. So for me, the, the fullness of God's love for us is represented well by a gathering of people, even if it is on the internet these days, and by the communion of saints, past, present, and future. The passage for today comes at the beginning of Jesus's ministry. He has gathered followers, begun his healing and teaching ministry, and now he sits down with a crowd to share his wisdom. When Jesus speaks, he is teaching middle-class folks who are frustrated with a few inconveniences of life. That would be the simple way to put it, but it wouldn't be the truth. These folks were in fact frustrated with few. It was not the case. He is addressing his fellow Jews who must endure the occupation of Roman troops and the political and economic systems that forces them into poverty. No simple inconveniences. These are not people struggling to eke out a decent living. These are people straining just to survive one more day. These are people who live in fear beneath a regime that has no qualms about executing anyone who steps out of line. Threat of death is the essence of Pax Romana or Roman peace. It was not an ideal in which weapons of war were beaten into agricultural tools and people were free to respectfully disagree with the government. No, rather the Romans equated peace with order and obedience. So today we hear Jesus speaking to people who are struggling to survive foreign domination and believe that their desperation is a clear sign that God is punishing them. It is these people, them and now, who live in poverty, who live in fear, who believe that their plight is punishment from the Almighty, that Jesus says, blessed are you. Instead of issuing a sharp reprimand, instead of saying, you are getting what you deserve, Jesus says, I'm sure, in a soothing, reassuring voice, blessed are you. In other words, people, God is not your enemy. You are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit the mourners, the meek, the hungry for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted, the detested. These people are the ones blessed by God. Why? Because living in such dire circumstances is really, really hard work. It's not easy to cope let alone find the motivation to keep going day after day. God's blessing is needed. 
But who are these people? Who are the poor in spirit? Who are the mourners, the meek, the hungry, the persecuted? Who are all these people that Jesus is talking about? Many are the people who do the work of God in the world. They are the people who struggle to show the love of God in a world that refuses not only to recognize God, but fights against the very idea of it. But those who fight the injustices of the world and try to make things right keep going one day at a time. There's no saying, I'm too young, or I'm too old, or I'm not strong enough, or I just don't have enough time. Because we all have gifts to offer, gifts that God gave us. But to be useful, these gifts require action. Some of us can spend time in prayer for the things that we are passionate about. We can write letters, we can make phone calls. We don't have to be the ones who march on Parliament Hill. But we can offer support in these ways, ways that can make a difference. Jesus healed people. He called attention to how people were being unfairly treated. Jesus sought justice. Simply put, Jesus loved people. He was kind to people. He had friends who, he, who also did good work, and he supported them. And more than anything else, Jesus walked humbly with God. Jesus didn't boast about what he was doing. He simply walked among people and they came to him. Oh, sure, he did things that got him into trouble. Things that were unpopular with the higher ups. He did things no one else was willing to do. Here's a simple but important example. He made it a habit of getting up before dawn, before anyone else, so he could go and spend time alone in prayer to make sure he was always in sync with what God had put him on earth to do. I believe a hidden life's important message lies not in its belief in the inherent goodness of humanity, but in its ability to find so much beauty in the construction of faith. To marvel with the, at the lengths people will go to, to convince themselves of the meaning in a universe that sometimes feels like it has none. When Jesus took his disciples up on a mountain, he first began by teaching them about joy about that inner quality of the heart that comes from knowing God. Now, if that unconditional love and blessing of God wasn't good enough, there's more. Jesus also declares that even amidst despair or grief or abandonment, hatred and persecution, we are all God's beloved. We are blessed and never alone. It is in knowing and in the drawing close that we feel God's blessing more acutely. So blessed are the persecuted and reviled that they depend more and more on that connection to God. Of course, it's messy business because we live 
within human systems and structures that are unjust. When Jesus shared this Sermon on the Mount, he didn't have a security scanner at the foot of the mountain so that, that only those who were pure enough, consistent enough, or righteous enough could hear his words. Many of those who followed Jesus were labeled as not worthy by the dominant political and religious culture, but Jesus didn't see them that way. And the same would be said about us. So trust that you are good enough, worthy enough, loved enough. Know that no matter what, as a child of God, you have God's blessing. So what do we do with these Beatitudes today in our world? The Beatitudes call us to speak out. Let us not be paralyzed into inaction or silence because we fear we are not good enough or spiritual enough. What they call hypocritical, we know is just the messiness of humanity. And the messiness should not keep us quiet or passive. We are called despite all our messiness. So find someone to bless this week. The encounter with grace, love, and acceptance may indeed change them in ways you may never know. Bless them anyway. And I'm sure that God will bless you also. So let us give thanks for all those who have journeyed with us and blessed us, for all the company of saints and for the God who sees us as good and worthy. We give thanks. Let us pray together.